0: Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. Good morning. Welcome, Hill City and visitors. I am excited to be here. I'm excited that you're here. We have been worshiping God this morning and we are going to continue to worship God this morning. I'm excited because we get to worship him with his word this morning. I'm honored to be here because of what we get to talk about this morning. We get to talk about the living God and his power this morning. As Brad said, we are walking through this sermon series during the month of July. For the last several weeks, we have been talking about different attributes. And as we have been going through this, I've given it a nickname in this sermon series. It's not a cool nickname, but it's a nickname. It's the Revelation 4-8 sermon series. As we've gone through this, I've thought. So Revelation 4-8, in these verses, it is verses about the throne of God. And around that throne, there are these creatures, And they have these wings and all of these eyeballs. And it says, without ceasing, day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who will always be. God wants us to know that when we come into his presence, there are some things that we just don't get to forget. He wants us to know that he is holy, that he is unlike anyone or anything else that he is, that there's nothing above him or below him or beside him that can add anything to him. He is who he is. He is self-sufficient. God is Lord. There is not a moment or a molecule in time or our universe that God is not sovereign over. He is Lord God. He is almighty. He is all powerful. There's nothing that he cannot do. These creatures look at these attributes of God and they put an exclamation point on that and they say, These attributes of God, they always were, they are, and they always will be. Well, this month in July, Hill City has been talking about the holiness of God. We have talked about the self-sufficiency of God. We have talked about the sovereignty of God. And this week we're gonna round this thing out, this Revelation 4, 8 sermon series on talking about the power of God. God is almighty. All righty. So I think there are two things that God wants us to know about his power. All right, before I get into those two things that God has for us this morning, I just got to address a few problems. And I think as we address, address these problems, it's going to get our hearts and our minds right. So that when we get to these things, things will actually just go a little bit easier. The first problem is, and it's not a bad problem, it's just, it's just how it is, is that God's power, like the rest of the attributes that we've talked about, they are eternal, they are infinite, they're incomprehensible. And God really wants to draw us into his power. But the problem is, is, how do we try to comprehend the incomprehensible? How do we get below the surface when we think of God's power being that big? Well, the Bible gives us some advice, some really good advice. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians tells us, And he's quoting God here. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, the power that we're gonna be talking about this morning is made perfect in weakness. And so the apostle Paul, he hears this and he said, well, if that's true, then I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. All right. So whether we admit it or not, we all have a craving for power. And I'm not sure that that craving of power is wrong. It's just where do we go to fulfill or satisfy that craving? The world tells us that, you know what, if we want power, we're going to have to muster it up ourselves. We're going to have to hold on to it. But that's not what the Apostle Paul says. He says, actually, if you want power, if you really want to know power, you're going to have to go to God. And you're going to have to give up what you think you have and you're holding on to your power. Everything that I'm going to say this morning is based on the fact that God is all powerful. And I'm no mathematician, but if God has all power, you know what that leaves us? Zero power. And the Apostle Paul is, let's let's just get this out before we even start. That this is how it is. And if we're going to understand power, if power is going to be made perfect to us this morning then we have got to take Paul's advice. Let's not just confess that we're powerless and weak, but let us boast in it. Hey, I get it. I get it. It's not gonna be comfortable. It's not gonna be easy. When you come to grips with your weakness, it's not a fun thing. But we need to decide here and now, what do we want? Do we want God's power, a power that satisfies? Or do we want a power that will never satisfy us? Alrighty, let us boast that God is powerful and recognize our weakness. Alright. The second problem, so now that we got that warm and fuzzy thing out of the way, our weakness, let's go on to the second problem. And this is more of a practical problem, is that God's power, it is infinite. Alright? So when you talk about infinity, you can only get so far in like 20 or 30 minutes this morning. Let's, let's, just, let's just get that out there. It's kind of like going to Disney World for two seconds. It's like you go into Disney World, you get in the gates and then the alarm goes off. You're like, all right, great, I'm out of here. And by the time you get into the parking lot, you're like, what just happened? I, was, I, like, I expected something amazing to happen, but now I'm just kind of disappointed and kind of lost But I think we need to acknowledge that this morning. God's power is infinite. It is huge. And we just don't have the time to exhaust it by any means. As if it could be exhausted. So what we need this morning, I think that my goal for us this morning is just to start that process. We need a guide rail that we can start walking along. And maybe we could establish this morning. But really we need to keep walking along that guide rail. So that God can use that guide rail to keep revealing to us His power. Well, that guide rail is God's word. And we really need to be in it every single day. It's something that we need to do the rest of our life. If we want to know things about God and his power, we need to be in his word. But the particular part of God's word that we are going to walk along this morning is John chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, would you please turn there? If you have Bible apps, would you please open those and scroll to John chapter 6. All right, those were the problems. Let's go to the solution, all right? So God, I feel like has two things for us this morning. And I'm just gonna tell them to you up up front. So when your mom asks you later today, when you have your Sunday conversation with your mom and she asks you what was church about, you can say we talked about the power of God and she asks you just to make sure that you're not making that up. So what what did you learn about the power of God? You can tell her that the sermon had two points. And number one, that God's power is incomparable. And when I say that his power is incomparable, I mean that his power is incomparable in quantity. And number two, God's power is incomparably good. All right. So let's get to our text and see what it says about God's power being incomparable, particularly his power being incomparable. In quantity. All right, so John chapter 6, for those of you that aren't familiar, it's the feeding of the 5,000. And let me just give you the overarching kind of like what's happening here, and then we're going to go through it in the scripture. So, Jesus in his life, he has gained some notoriety. And there are people that want to be with him and hear what he has to say. And so they will follow him, like a bunch of people are following him into these remote places. And he is in this remote place and they're listening to them and eventually their stomachs get up empty. And Jesus sees that their stomachs are empty, that they're hungry. He, and he has in mind that, that I, would like to, I would like to feed them. So he literally makes lunch for them from scratch. From nothing, he makes bread and fish and gives to them. And they eat all they want. There's leftovers. And then after a while, their stomachs get hungry again. Their amazement at this, mirac- at this miracle dwindles a little bit. And so then they come to Jesus and they say, yeah, you know what, we, we need more bread. We need you to do something cool again so we, we can be amazed. And then they have this conflict. All good stories have a conflict and there's a conflict in this story. And we will get into that. But what's the overarching theme. Let's get into it. Let's pick up, I think, John chapter 6 around verse 5. It says when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test them for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go? amongst so many. All right, so right away we get introduced to three characters. There's Jesus and then there are the disciples, Philip and Andrew. And the story starts out that Jesus comes to Philip and and he gives them this problem. He's like, hey, we have all these people. How are we going to feed them? He asks them, where are we going to get money to buy food for all these people, right? And so he introduces this problem to Philip and Philip is like, well, You know, if we if his 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 solution to the problem is theoretical, he's like, well, if we had enough money, we could buy some bread, but that would only feed you know you know give you know give give enough bread just for everybody to have a have a bite. And he he quickly learns that hey, you know what, his solution to this problem it's not going to work. But then there's Andrew. Andrew doesn't do any better. He takes a little boy away from his parents, takes his brown bag lunch, and then puts it to Jesus and says, "Um, here's my solution, but how far is it going to go amongst so many? We learn from these guys that this is, you know, before we give them a hard time, we got to realize, hey, we couldn't have done any better. You know, this was an impossible situation, all right? You know, it's like you know, don't come to my house and and expect me to whip up something for you and especially 5,000 people. It just just can't be done. A side note here is is, is the text doesn't say that they didn't ask that little boy. You know, I work in Hill City Kids and four or five-year-olds and you know what their answer to questions are? Jesus. You know, if they would ask this little boy, you know what he may have said? Jesus. And he would have been right. But they didn't ask him. So we learn from the adults that it was an impossible situation. But it wasn't impossible for God. We learned here something about God's power and how in- incomparable that it is. We learned that nothing is too hard for him. Jeremiah 32 tells us things like, Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched harm. Nothing is too hard for you. We're learning in Luke that Luke 1:37 nothing is impossible for you God's power does not slow down for the impossible nothing is too hard for him All right let's go on in this text After he talks to these guys he says he had already in mind what he was going to do He had in mind so he he saw these people he saw their need And a thought came into his mind. He thought there would be something that would please me. And that would be to make them lunch. Here we learn something about God's power. That when something comes into his mind. The process of him doing that thing. And him having the ability to do things. That process is very, very short. In fact, there's really no process at all. When he thinks something, he can do something. God can do whatever he pleases. He had this plan that came into his mind and then it said he already was going to do it. We talk a lot, when we say things, we say all the time, hey, we're gonna do that. But you know what we don't say? We don't say that we are already going to do that. We say, hey, you know what? I'm going to eat better. I'm going to save money this year. But we don't say I already did that. God has had enough Uh, confidence in his power that he gets to say I already did it because when he has a plan to do something his plans always happen he says that I had something in mind of what I was already going to do and it was as good as done God's plans cannot be stopped when he thinks of something because he is so powerful it's done his plans cannot be stopped Job 42 says I know that all I know that you can do all things no plan of yours can be thwarted. So here in these first few verses we learn something about God. We learn that God's power is incomparable because nothing is too hard for him. He can do all that he pleases and his plans cannot be stopped. But we're just at the beginning. The story goes on. Picking up there in verse 10, it says, Jesus, have the Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. All right, so here we see the very essence of this miracle, that there were all these people, their stomachs were empty, they needed food, there was nothing, and then there was Jesus, and then there was something, and that something was food, and there was a lot of food. Let's just be really clear like that God didn't need this brown bag lunch. He didn't he need this Hebrew Lunchable to like do this miracle. You know, God just invites us in. There's actually another lesson there, but I know this because there wasn't that at the beginning of the world when God said, let there be light and let there be light. He, he didn't have that when he said, hey, I want there to be dinosaurs and there was dinosaurs. He didn't say, hey, I wanted Saturn and there was Saturn. He didn't have anything. Here we learn that God's power can be seen when he makes something from nothing. And I just want to linger here a little bit because the Bible tells us to. In Romans 1.20 it says, For the invisible attributes, namely his, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Here Paul in Romans tells us that, you know what, if you want to know about God's power, a good place to start is start thinking about God being able to make something from nothing. Look at the things that have been made. There was a guy that, that, that I don't know if he was a Christian or he even read Romans, but this, this, this verse definitely applied to his life. This guy's name was Albert and he lived around like the late, he was born around 1880. And Albert, he really liked to look at the things that God made around the world. And he tried to connect that to the thought that there was was power. There had to be power behind the things that were made. And and Albert wasn't the best with language. He couldn't really express those, those words. But the thing was, is he was pretty good with math. And he was trying to make these connections. And he was making them with numbers and math. And he did a pretty good job of it. Albert's last name was Einstein. Albert Einstein, he looked at the world and the power behind the things that were made and he came up with his equation. And it of it's true. This equation, you may have seen it on a bumper sticker somewhere that E equals MC squared. All right, so I know when you guys woke up this morning, you weren't thinking, oh man, I, I really hope they don't talk about theoretical physics in church this morning, all right? So just hang in me, all right? We're going to keep this like super superficial. And if there's any physicists in the room, uh, I know that this isn't going to be up to your standards. But, you know, the rest of us aren't physicists. So, yeah, we'll we'll try to do this. So there is this this equation, E equals MC squared. So the E in this equation is energy. And for the purposes this morning, let's say that that's power, energy and power. And so Einstein had discovered that in our universe, that if you have enough power, it can be converted into stuff, the M in this equation, matter or mass, like the chairs that you're sitting on, us. This right here, that is mass, right? So really power can be converted into stuff. Power can be converted into bread. But here's the deal is there's this C squared at the end. What's that? C is a really, 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 really big number. It's the speed of light. And the speed of light is really fast. So if you times the speed of light by itself, in our minds, that's like an infinite number. So what Einstein is telling us that is, if you do the math, uh, that that, the power, if you're gonna take power and you have nothing but power and you are to make something, it's gonna take a whole, whole, whole lot of power to make that little something. All right, let me give you an example. If you were to make a raisin, If you were to make a raisin, you would need like the energy it takes to power New York City for like months to make a raisin. All right. We can't do that. But just if you do the math, that's what it is. If you were to make a raisin's worth of uranium, which is a piece of metal, you were going to need nuclear explosions and a lot of them to make a raisin's worth of uranium. We're not talking about raisins here in the story, though. We're talking about bread and fish and a whole lot more of that. Right, We are talking about enough bread and fish to feed 5,000 and that's not even counting the wives and children. So I'm not trying to boil God's power down to a mathematical formula. Actually the exact opposite. What I am saying here is that the most brilliant thought from the most brilliant mind of the man that walked here when he says that when you think about making something from nothing it should reflect back to god and shout to the universe that his power is incomparable in quantity all right let's move on with the story when they all had enough to eat he said to his disciples gather the pieces that are left over let nothing be wasted So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. What do we find out here about God's power? God's power is incomparable because it's limitless. All right. So before God did this miracle, he wasn't pacing around. He wasn't like how, he wasn't trying to pump himself up. He wasn't trying to gather energy. No, he just did the miracle. And afterwards, he wasn't breaking a sweat. He wasn't tired. He didn't need to take a nap. He didn't stop at just giving everyone a bite. He didn't just stop at feeding their stomachs. He says, you know what? This is so easy for me. I'm making leftovers. God's power before this miracle was the same level of power after this miracle. His power is limitless. When he does things, it doesn't drain him. It's just who he is and he's doing what he does. Isaiah 40, 28 says, Do you know, have you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. Alrighty. Just in these little verses, we learn things about God's power. It's not all about God's power. It's not the only things about him that are incomparable in regards to his power. But we learn that God's power is incomparable because nothing is too hard for him. He can do all that he pleases. His plans cannot be stopped. He can create something from nothing and it is limitless. When I think about those things, It makes me so proud that I have a God like that. It stirs up affections in me that want to worship that. There are little boys at recess ever since the beginning of the world that have been fighting with each other about who's got the strongest dad. And that should tell us something about our hearts and our desires. It's because something deep in us wants a strong and powerful God. Well, I had that when I was a little boy and I still have that. So when I do think about these things, those worshipful attitudes come out to me and it just fills me with so much joy. But if I'm honest, it also makes me nervous. It also makes me nervous to stand At the fringe of God's power, and to look at His power because I can't understand it. And I think to myself, can I trust what I can't understand? Because I have enough experience in this world and with earthly power to know a few things that earthly power can be corrupted, that it can be abusive, it can be oppressive. It can be angry. And I think, God, I don't know if I really want to get into your power or to see it too much. Because as the layers of that onion unravel, God, I I don't know what I'm going to find. Well, C.S. Lewis, as only C.S. Lewis can, kind of he felt that tension and he put it in one of his stories. And I I, I want to read that to you. It's, It's from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Because he can put it a lot better than I can, that tension between being proud of God and wanting to worship him, but, but having that nervousness feeling when it comes to his power in particular. So if you haven't read this book, first of all, you need to read the book. If you don't read books, watch the movie. That's what I did. Um, <clears throat> so um, in this book, so there are these kids and they find their way into this, like, this magical land through this wardrobe. And this land is called Narnia, and this uh, and this land is under the control of the evil white witch. And uh, these kids are are in this land, and the evil white witch wants to uh, kill them, uh, kidnap them, and so they're so they're maneuvering their way through Narnia. And uh, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are helping them do that. And Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are loyal to the rightful ruler of Narnia. It is this godlike uh, character in the book. His name is A- Aslan. And so as they're like going through N- uh, Narnia, they, they kind of, they hunker down. And they start to have this conversation about Aslan. Because the kids know nothing about Aslan. But Mr. and, me- Mr. and Mrs. Beaver do. So let me read you this conversation that they have. It starts out, is, is he a man, asked Lucy. Aslan, a man, said, uh, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beast? Aslan is the lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. C.S. Lewis in this story, in this conversation, he has what I'm sure a lot of people are feeling in this room. When you come to the fringes of God's power and you have these thoughts, these thoughts, can I trust him? Is it good? And then God would tell us, you know what? There are some things that are a little dangerous about my power. But he never wants us to forget that his power is good. So this morning, God wants us to know that his power is incomparable. It is incomparable in quantity. Yes, it should be feared. But his power is incomparably good. All right, let's go back to our story. Let's see what it says about God's power being incomparably good. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, force withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So he withdrew. And then he went across this lake on foot. That's a, different, that's a different sermon for a different time. But he goes across, he walks on the water, and then he goes to the other side of the lake. But these people are like, man, we gotta be with this guy Um, because they're hungry at this time and and they want to see another miracle. And so they have this conversation. And then Jesus, picking up in verse 26, says, Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, you were looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Skip down to 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. All right, so this part of the story there's this interaction so he's done the miracle and they come to Jesus and Jesus is saying you know what like you know that that power that I displayed to you when I made all those bread and fish from nothing that was just a sign that wasn't the end all be all that was just a sign now a miraculous sign but it was a sign nonetheless we're all familiar with signs we use them all the time let's say a restroom sign for instance when you need to use the restroom you're not content just to see a restroom sign the only good and intrinsic value of a sign is what it points you to it points you to what you really want and what you really need God here is saying hey this was a sign this is just the fringe of my power what you need is the source of my power you need the bread of life. So here we find that God's power is incomparably good because it points and it provides, I changed the slide the last second, but points and provides, sorry, to what we really want and what we really need. So it's a really good thing that when we sinned and we walked away from God, that God had every right to just give up and say No. I'm not going to pursue them, but he didn't. And it was really good of him that he doesn't do that. Because what we really need is we need God himself. That's what his power is pointing to in this story, is he's saying, hey, you don't need the bread, you need the bread of life. We operate, we are designed to operate at a level best when we are close to God that's what we really need if you go back to Genesis before sin came into the world you can see that man operates at the highest level when they are walking with God in the coolness of the day but something happened There was sin, we walked away from God and we let the world condition us to be content with far too little. But in this story, God is saying with the fringe of his power, wake up. Don't be content with just these these little things like being with, with bread and this world, but I want you to be drawn back to me, to the things that you really want and you really need. And God does that with his power. He draws us back to him. But going back to the example of the bathroom. So say there's a bathroom sign that says, hey, the bathroom is that way, but there's a mountain between the sign and the bathroom. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a tough situation. So what's, what's the good of the sign that way if you can't get to the bathroom? Well, that's how we are. The fringes of God's power are pointing back to God, but we can't get to God because there is sin in the way and there's nothing that we can do about it. God's power is incomparable because it doesn't just point to the sign, it provides a way to what we really need, to the source of power. So this pointing and the providing and the power, it all meets at the cross of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.18 tells us about this. It says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know that it is the very power of God. You know what there are some people in this room this morning that like are are hearing about this what i'm saying about about what that god's power is so good because it draws back to himself and they're just like that's that just doesn't make sense that's not going to solve my problems today and that's foolishness and that doesn't catch god by surprise at all but my prayer this morning is that somebody that walked in thinking that way won't leave here thinking that way that will be encountering god and that one person will leave and say what was foolish when I walked in at the very end of this sermon or this day or what God is doing in your hearts will say that that is the very power of God. All right, well, I, I want, there, there's, there's more to say about the cross and I am gonna talk about cross, the cross because that is the very power of God. But before I do, I just wanna, I just wanna make kind of a, a, a sub point here. And that's was, is God is working and drawing himself through, through to himself in this story through blessing. But that's kind of an anomaly. And I know it's an anomaly because of life. Because in life, you know what, there is blessing, but there's a lot of hardship too. But that doesn't change anything. Because God's power works just as much in hardship. It works and it's just as incomparably incom- good to draw himself to himself us to himself, sorry, and to provide a way in hardship and sometimes more effectively in hardship than it does in blessing. In 2 Corinthians, it tells us for the slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So God's power is good because it draws us into this eternal weight of glory, whether it's working through blessing or through hardship. All right, one last point, and we're gonna finish this story. The last point goes back to the cross, the very power of God for us. God's power is incomparably good because it solves our biggest problem. John six fifty through 51, let's finish up the story here, but it says, here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So here in these last verses, Jesus is talking about life and death. And the death here that he talks about is not the death that comes at the end of an 80 or 90 year old life that's full of accomplishments and is sitting at this bed with the family around and he or she is uh, slipping into this quiet peace. That's not the death here. The death that he's talking here is our biggest problem. The death here is that this is the death that comes at the hands of a wrathful, powerful God. You see, God hates sin. He hates sin in you and he hates sin in me. And there's power behind that hatred. The same power that we talked about this morning that cannot fail, that does whatever it pleases and that it's limitless. That's our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is that we are sinners and the all-powerful God hates that sin. So as I am getting ready for this sermon, I Googled some stuff, um, this is my first time doing this, so I, I use Google, my go-to, and as I'm Googling about, hey, God's power, there are these videos of these guys that videotape themselves and um, and they've had way too much Red Bull and, and not enough sleep. and they are talking about that there can't be an all-powerful God because they come up with this scenario about if there was an all-powerful God, could he make a rock that he couldn't, he couldn't lift? And so they come up with this like circular logic thing that like proves a, there's a scenario out there that, that if there was an all-powerful God that can do anything and, and, and here's a situation he couldn't do, there's an all-powerful God. That's ridiculous, that's stupid. We don't, we don't we, in, our, in our house we can't use the word stupid, but that was, that was stupid. Uh, for lots of reasons. But one of the reasons was, is there is a much bigger problem. There is the monumental problem that they are missing, that they haven't woken up to. And that's the fact that God's wrath is, that has power behind it is hating our sin. It says in Romans 6, 23, that the, rage, the wages of sin is death. And this isn't a good death. This is an awful death. Death of the hands of a wrathful God. But let's go back to the cross, the very source of God's power to us. There was something that happened at the cross, that the power that was behind his grace and his mercy met with the power that was behind the wrath, our biggest problem. And that there was a power that was unleashed. Let's go back to think about the power that God used to make the universe. Remember, we talked about that power a few minutes ago, that when God said, let there be a world and there was a world, he didn't break a sweat when he did that. But here at the cross, he did something and it took his sweat and not just his sweat, he took his blood and his body. That's the kind of power that we're talking about. That is where we go, the very essence of God's power. Because at the cross, we really find out that God's power is incomparable and that it's incomparably good. God's power is displayed at the highest level. The power behind his grace and his mercy were glorified. The power of his wrath was glorified and remained impeccable. And it was good because it drew drew us to himself and it satisfied our deepest desire. Here in a few moments, we're gonna be taking communion and you're gonna come up and you're gonna break the bread. The bread of life is what this symbolizes. There's nothing magic about this bread, but it symbolizes something very, very powerful the breaking of bread, and you will be thinking about the power that was released for you and for I and for God's glory when you do that. And you dip it in the, in, in, in the juice and you realize the power of God's blood was enough to appease the power of God's wrath.